now listening to the Brandon Brand Sports Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brandon Brand Sports Podcast, episode 98. Thank you for joining us on this lazy Sunday. I want to start off with some NHL this week because now that we're over the uh, opening few anomaly weeks where we tend to see weird things and and odd teams uh, jump into the tops when teams that shouldn't be there, uh, the Calgary Flames and Edmonton Oilers are still there. And it doesn't look like either team is going away. No, I mean, if you look at it, they're winning games, they're getting points. Both teams, like Calgary only has three regulation losses in their first 18 games. Edmonton only has four. I mean, the only concern with Calgary Flames fans is that they dropped a lot of games in overtime. But I don't think it frankly matters if you're still winning games. It's all about keeping those regulation losses to a minimum. And quite frankly, they're doing it. The Calgary Flames goaltending situation couldn't be any better. Both goalies are in the top five, ten maybe, in terms of goals against average. And save percentage. Vladder is playing today against the Boston Bruins. They're coming off a back-to-back here. Beat the Islanders last night in convincing fashion. I mean, the Islanders are one of those teams you and I have talked about. It's like, what's up? What's up with the Islanders? Yeah, I have no logical explanation for that team right now. They just can't seem to score. And last night wasn't any different. Brock Nelson got both goals for them, but Calgary got in front. And never looked back in that game. They got two empty netters at the end to make it look a bit more convincing than it actually was. But, you know, the story with the Calgary Flames, we'll get to the Oilers in a second, is Andrew Mangiapane. You and I have been gushing about this guy for a long time. But he scored two goals last night, two goals on Thursday. That's four in his last two. He is now in second place in uh, in the goals lead in the in the league. Tied with Ovechkin behind Dreisaitl, of course. He's on a bit of a tear. But uh, the goals just can't, they're not stopping. Johnny Gaudreau had a big night against Buffalo the other night. Markstrom, five five out of his seven wins now as of last night are shutouts. Vladder's got a shutout. That's six team shutouts out of ten wins. That's like, the stats are just insane right now. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with everything you just said here. Uh, But let's start with Manji Pani and... uh, just how crazy of a story he really is, just with the names that he's sitting next to right now, between Dreisaitl and Ovechkin and all these big-name guys. Did anybody looking uh, at these teams going into the NHL season thinking that Mangiapane was going to be sitting right up there with them? Like, it's absolutely wild to see him there. Not at this point in the season. I mean, I thought he had a great shot at a 30-goal season. At this point, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion if he doesn't get hurt. Oh, yeah. He's inched his way into Team Canada selection conversation right now and I think he'd be a great fit I mean he's an energy guy he can do a lot of things whether he gets buried on the third or fourth line with Team Canada I mean I don't think he would really care but I think he can contribute I think he's got a great shot how do you not look at it like look what happened to that awful team they had put together for the Worlds and then Mangiapane showed up and then all of a sudden they won gold like this guy has not stopped for the last year and a half two years even when the team was bad he was out there just giving her hell. Yeah. Like, there is something to be said for that kind of character and intangibles as uh, the management, the, the, the word that they use to d- describe guys like him. Yeah. I, I, You know, the rest of the league, we're Calgary Flames fans, so we've known about Mangiapane for a long time. Uh, but the rest of the league has now been put on notice that this guy is one of the top guys in the league, at least at this point in the season. 
Um, the guy doesn't have a lot of assists. I think he has 14 goals and two assists or something like that. But, uh, I mean, we'll take the goals over the assists all day long. He's a finisher. He had an absolute crazy goal against Montreal the other day. He's got great hands. Both goals last night were tip-ins. So the guy, just his hand-eye coordination is great. Like we said, he's an energy guy. The guys in the locker room love him. I'm going for him, man. I hope he makes Team Canada. That would be awesome because there's no other Canadian on the Flames roster that would even have consideration. Lots of Swedes, but not any Canadians. He's only got two assists. Yeah, That's dude, it's insane. That's a weird stat line. There's another guy uh, a number of years ago uh, that had a similar stat line that, by the name of uh, Guillaume Latondresse, if you remember him. And he always had those weird goal, non-assist stat lines as well. It's really strange when you see that because, uh, generally speaking, you have at least some kind of even-out factor on either well, side. Uh, yeah, you're generally right, but, I mean, a guy by the name of Ovechkin, aside from this year where he's putting up a lot of assists, he's had a lot of seasons where he's 50-plus goals and 20 assists. Mm. Lots of seasons like that where he topped out at 70-ish points. But, uh, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you don't see guys that are just pure finishers like that. And Manji's not been like that over the course of his career. I mean, he's pretty much been an even goal assist guy. Uh, but this year, at least to this point in the season, he's been a pure finisher. And we love it. We have to love it's it. working out. I, I would like to actually pick the brains of, like, some of the higher-up guys, your, your Freedmans and stuff like that. If either anybody over there on that level had the Flames and the Oilers riding out the west at this point well i think a lot of them probably would have picked the oilers they are a regular season team just like the leafs etc but the flames i i I was never down in the dumps about them especially with sutter getting a fresh start training camp um i i thought they'd knock on the door for a playoff spot just like la kind of crept around in those years they won the cup i mean the first year in 2012 they were the eighth seed all the way to the final and won I kind of thought they were going to be like that. Now, this may even out. I mean, the Flames right now, I mean, they're riding a high. hope they don't... They, they, they tend to look at things, at least from what I've seen in interviews, that they look at it game by game. Sutter likes to break the season into seven-game segments. He always has. Uh, but right now, they're doing everything that Sutter wants them to do. And, I mean, it, the shutouts speak for themselves in terms of Sutter always loves a good goalie and a good defensive, responsible, accountable squad. And that's what these guys are right now. My, my worry with this team, and we've seen it a few times this season already, is that they still have a tendency to take entire nights off and completely mail it in. I don't agree with you at all. Oh, man. man like it's, Three uh, regulation losses, man. Yeah, I mean, like, they've gotten lucky a couple times for sure, but, like... I don't think they have. I mean, in the games they've lost in overtime, they've battled all the way through, and I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, you don't want to lose every game in overtime, but you get a point out of it, get out of there. And what does three-on-three three even mean? You, you lose that in the playoffs anyways. It, get out of there, get your points, and move on. It's true. It's just, like, I, the overtime thing worries me. And we've, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the show, obviously we've talked about it over text, but the Devils were a similar team, you know, five, six years ago they had a season like that where they would have squeaked into the playoffs had they picked up more overtime wins as opposed to the losses, and they just could not figure it out in overtime. Yeah, but they had no wins, Matt. It's different when you don't win games and you lose a lot of games in regulation. I mean, I get it. The Devils may have won, made it into the playoffs that year. But it doesn't matter when you have 10 regulation wins against three regulation losses. The overtime thing doesn't matter. 
If you took a, a regulation equivalent of the Flames right now, they're 12 and a half and five and a half. That's well above 500. I mean, it doesn't matter now. What if they go on a bad skit? Hey, man, I get it. But, like, in? at this point, you t- like, they've got, what, 23 points in 18 games. Which is a crazy number. There's it no is question. crazy. There's no question. So, I, I mean, who are yeah. Those not, who are the regulation losses to? Like, let's look back. They are to Montreal and Edmonton. So, they're north. Yeah, the first Their game. north ghosts are still ha- haunting them. Of course. And San Jose. That's it. Well, and San Jose's like an okay team. Montreal, that was a bad loss. That's a bad loss. Edmonton, that was the first game of the season. So like Well and yeah. So they've got two regulation losses aside from their opening game hiccup to the Edmonton Oilers, who score a lot of goals. Yeah, and like obviously as much as you hate Edmonton, it's, they are what they are. Right? They are like, what they yeah, are. Yeah, I mean like losing to them. In the, the opening night, the too? Yeah, it's And the Flames the lose game. every opening night game. Yeah. And they, you know what? They've always, like, at least in the last few years, they don't generally do well against the Oilers, either. Regular season-wise, I mean, they owned the Oilers for a long period of time, but since the Connor McDavid era, I think it's been a bit of a toss-up. I mean, the Oilers, as of the last two years, have probably done better against the Flames than, than we would have liked, but... I look at this team right now, and I get the overtime thing. You don't want to lose every one of those games because you lose a, an incremental amount of momentum every time. But they've had to come back in every third period in those games to actually get it to overtime. So the the moral victory there, and I know people don't like that phrase. It's cliche and doesn't mean anything. But I think it really does with this team. They don't really lose that much. When I'm looking at either team, too, be it the Flames or the Oilers, I'm a little bit more confident in the sustainability of the Flames based purely on the defense and the goaltending. I mean, the Oilers, too, they haven't been you know, with Mike Smith for a while. He's got some kind of injury. I can't remember what it is. They've got, uh, like, 24-year-old Stuart Skinner back there. So, like, they're losing a couple games here and there based purely on that. But even when they get Smith back, even when they have that Smith-Koskinen duo that's still not going to take them very far in terms of playoff sustainability. Not like Markstrom can. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, Markstrom's still unproven in the playoffs, but, I mean, certainly he's proving to the league right now that he's one of the best in the league. And uh, I don't know if it's even close right now. He's the best goalie in the league. And in terms of tandems for the Jennings Trophy, I mean, the Calgary Flames, two goalies, are a country mile ahead of anybody else. Um, Will that be sustainable six shutouts in 10 games probably not yeah i mean they're, they're on pace here to set records in the nhl if they keep that up but yeah certainly with the edmonton oilers it's a little concerning mike smith's on long-term injured reserve uh who knows he's an older gen anyways who I knows how much he's like 41 left. now i'm not sure but it's got to be up there yeah it's close if he's not 40 he's like right there and you know. and koskinen's been okay but i mean his glove hand has been suspect over his whole career, and this year still not look good. And you want to talk about quality of losses with the Edmonton Oilers. They've lost to the Buffalo Sabres, the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, They just lost to the Jets again. The Jets seem to have the number going back to last year's playoff in the North Division, the first round where they got swept. But, you know, all all things being considered, the Edmonton Oilers are not going to slow down in terms of points. Connor McDavid has gotten a point in every game so far this season. It's well, insane. in some of the ways he's going about to get these goals and assists is just ridiculous. 
ridiculous. Like, he makes it look like their other teams aren't even fucking trying out there. Yeah, it's... I will say this, though, and they have been spectacular, not taking anything away from Connor McDavid, but those are regular season goals. He ain't scoring those goals in the playoffs. He just isn't. I mean, I, I have to look at those, like the one against the Rangers and the one against the Jets recently. Like, spectacular goals. But, like, there's multiple guys there. Are you kidding me? Who's not, <laughs> like, who's missed their assignment? Every single one of them. That, that, that won't happen in the playoffs. Like, what, I'm sorry. What is the explanation for that? The other team taking the night off? You know, the uh, the fact that refs won't uh, call anything towards the guy? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. But, like, there's just some instances, like the Rangers one in particular, where it just looked like everyone was just out the lunch. Yeah, the one thing I will say about those plays is if you're a defender and you know who Connor McDavid is by this time in your career... I think a lot of people step back and say, you know, if I hit him when he's going Mach 5, it's going to cause some trouble. Likely. Yeah. So I think there's a little hesitation there with some defenders when he is going, like when he's tuned it up, to actually hit the guy. Because I have a lot of trouble understanding how both of those goals occurred with like three, four guys around him. But he's just going so fast. Any little... Nick and he's gonna go flying, whether that be into the post, the goalie, the boards. So I think there is a little hesitation there. I wonder too. Like obviously, I watch a lot more flame stuff than I do Oilers stuff. But I wonder, like, do people out there on the ice actually fuck with the guy all that much? You know, I mean, generally there's kind of that rule where you don't mess with star players that much, or else you're gonna bring down the ire of the tough guys. But like, is anyone out there like trying to like? Get him oh, off yeah. his game? Yeah, they are. I mean, there's been stuff in the media the last few weeks where Connor has actually voiced his, his utmost frustration on the lack of calls that he gets. Now, a lot of them aren't when he's going 100 miles an hour, <laughs> but he is a, a star player that does not get the benefit of the doubt like the rest of the star players in the league. That's clear. Um, so, I and mean, he's frustrated. I think there's a lot of people trying to take him off his game. I mean, you take Connor McDavid out of the the equation with the Edmonton Oilers, they're a shell of themselves. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl's a beast. We know that. But if you take one of the two juggernauts out of the game, not injury or out of the game, literally, but just take him out of the, the, the play and not make, let him get that space and that speed, you've, you've basically won the game. Yeah, I mean, like, they better hope that they don't lose either one of those guys at any point. Oh, for sure. Like, it would absolutely do them. And you do actually make an interesting point about the uh, the ref call stuff. Because if you go back and look at, say, early Sidney Crosby days when he was a young guy, and all the calls he got, like, it made me hate Sidney Crosby back then because he was constantly getting favorable ref calls. You're right, McDavid doesn't really get that. He doesn't get that. And he, there's way more players that get way more calls than Connor McDavid. Uh, and I think it's because the refs look at it. Well, you've already got an advantage, bud. There's no <laughs> yeah. question. You know, work through it. And I, I, I literally think that's part of the, the equation. I mean, you could. I'm sure there's some con- conspiracy theorists out there who'll be like, "No, no, it's because he plays for a Canadian team, and the league wants to fuck with the Canadian teams." Oh, that that's not true. <laughs> Matthews and Marner get the benefit of the doubt a lot. Oh my god, yeah, that's actually a decent segue. We should talk about the Leafs a little bit because they kind of dug themselves out of their their hole. Uh, they were two points out of the lead in the East the last time I looked, but they did just lose to uh, Pittsburgh, I believe it was yesterday. Last and I think, year. yeah, shut out on that one. But, uh, I mean, like, not all is doom and gloom in Toronto because they're actually right where they uh, think they should be. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think the the media circus that occurred when they lost the Penguins a few weeks ago, actually, uh, and got beat down, and there was no star players on that team. I think the message was heard loud and clear because it was almost instantaneously where they they stepped up and they started winning games and. You know, it's a shame they lost again last night, or maybe lack thereof. I don't know how you want to look at it. But, um, yeah, the Penguins are one of those teams that they need to get going right now. We talked about the Islanders need to get going. I think they're still in a decent position. But I think there's a lot of teams that have already eliminated themselves in terms of a probability of making the playoffs. Yeah, well, it's lots of them. let's get into that because there's a fairly decent and curious list at it. So, like, hit me with that. So the Islanders right now, I think, are a team that hasn't played a lot of games. They just played their first game in their new stadium last night. The Flames ruined that party. But they started the year 13 games on the road. That's pretty tough. Um, That's a terrible way to open. They lost last night. They only have 13 points. So, I mean, they've got games in hand, but they got to get it going or else they're right on the cusp. But you got teams like Vancouver, Seattle, Arizona... Now that Chicago lost last night, they're in there. Montreal and Ottawa. These teams have like virtually no chance of making the playoffs right now based on what, what the records look like. Well, and I think, I mean, the big talk in the league right now is, and especially you know up north here in Canada, is the Vancouver Canucks, who are a mess on every single level. Yeah, they, and when they really shouldn't be. Well, I don't know if they were good or bad. I mean, clearly with what the record suggests is that they're not very good. Wasn't it not too long ago, though, both of us were like, we like what Vancouver's put together. After that yeah. bubble performance yeah, in the playoffs, yeah. I and mean, they barely lost to Vegas in the second round, I thought things looked up for them. But you can't win when you got guys, your star players like Besser and Pedersen putting up, like, virtually no goals. The Pedersen thing's very, very Very concerning. Yeah. Besser's in, in, he's in a contract year right now. I still think Besser's getting moved. I really do. I think he, I always thought, just based on the young guys they had and who they had to lock up, and now that they've taken on Ekman Larson, oh, Tyler, that's that's gonna bite them. Tyler sure. Myers' contract is absurd based on what you get from him. I think Besser was ultimately always going to be moved. That's why they signed him to a bridge deal. Wanted to see what they had. He's oft injured, and this year it just looks like he's. I, I don't want to say disinterested, but he's clearly not the player that he's been the last five years that he's been in the league. And uh, at this point in time, unless Vancouver gets a really good month, uh, like, and I'm talking a straight solid month, yeah, they're out. Like, they, they it's going to be very difficult for these teams based on how many wins they have right now and points to get in when it's generally around 93 to 95, maybe more in some years, as the cutoff for the eighth spot. Yeah, I was I was texting with Ben the other day, and uh, we were talking about how much money the the Canucks defense core eats up because it's a significant part of their cap. And he had he flat out said that Jim Benning might be the worst GM in the league when it comes to constructing a cap safe team, because like I mean the Canucks D is terrible. And it's, it's, not, it's not very good, and the crowd started chanting the other day, "Fire Benning!" So mm-hmm. I mean he's on the hot seat. Um, he came out after that game where they were chanting. He's like, it's a little bit upsetting. It's like, well, what do you expect, yeah, man? What do you expect? Like, uh, what do you expect? So the Vancouver Canucks are in a very precarious situation. And their, their window right now, if they don't pull it together, at least in the next few weeks or prior to Christmas, um, you're looking at um, the only way they make it is if they were the 2019 St. Louis Blues. 
And that never happens. Who are they rolling with in goalie right now? Like, are they, are they still rolling Demko every night? Ah, uh, they're going to regret letting that Markstrom go, huh? <laughs> yeah, they couldn't afford They couldn't afford it, but that's I mean, the thing. They had already yeah. dug that pit yeah. of cap space that they just didn't have. I don't, I still, I mean, JT Miller's eaten up a lot. He's been one of the bright spots for them. Yeah. But Tyler Myers, Ekman Larson, you know, Pedersen was signed big, Quinn Hughes. You had to sign those two. They're the future. But they're just not producing as a whole. I so think, it's, I, it's tough. I think you should probably take some credit for the, the call on Ekman Larson because it wasn't too long ago that you said that, you know, teams should probably stay away from him at that cap price uh, when we were talking about, uh, like, prior to the Coyotes getting rid of him. And uh, you had made that call first, and I, I don't think I've heard anyone else say it since, so it, uh, big ups to you on that one. I yeah, think. I mean, I follow the Coyotes, like, unlike <laughs> a lot of people. And I'm not saying Ekman Larson's not a decent player, because he is, but, I mean, he's overpaid for what you get for him. And, uh, you know, the hype machine behind him three, four years ago was the only reason the Coyotes looked at him as a, a cornerstone piece. So... Yeah, I mean, the Vancouver Canucks are, they've taken on just some bad contracts. That Tyler Myers one, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I never saw why they want, what they what they thought they were going to get for whatever six and a half million dollars. It's just size with Tyler Myers. That's all it is. The dude's like six nine or whatever, yeah. right? And that's all, it, people want a big lumbering defenseman, but like you can get that this for... This isn't ten years ago though. I, I know. You can, <laughs> and you can get that for one mil in Eric and Branson. I mean, they're virtually the same player. Straight up. Like, and for yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, another player in the exact same mold as Tyler Myers. And hey, while we're talking about defense and before we move on, we, we really need to highlight Oliver Shillington. Oh my god. What yeah. a surprise. Finally. He's finally lived up to finally. that second round selection. He looks like a stud out there. Offensively and defensively. Daryl Sutter has did some crazy Jedi mind trick well, to the guy. He's getting he's getting playing time, that's the thing. Look back up until this season. When was he getting a chance to get into the Never. lineup? And, bottom, bottom, bottom three. Yeah, and, and when he did get in, he was playing four minutes a night, and then and, they would bench the guy. Like, yeah. he's never gotten a solid opportunity. So, like, what are you going to do outside of rot? And now Valimaki's taking that spot, and he's... Well, he doesn't deserve a roster spot. We said it in past episodes. He's he just doesn't right himself now. out, man. Like, he's going to be trade bait for sure. I just... Yeah, and we said it before, too. I don't know what he's worth, but he's certainly not... Like the top six in our in our decor right now, they're cemented in there. There is no chance, aside from injury, from anyone else getting a spot, because they're just they're crushing it. Yeah, right they now. are crushing it. Number it, one to six, it's unreal. Uh, someone said on on I think it was the hockey night broadcast the other day, maybe Sportsnet. I could be wrong, but uh, what do you think about the potential? And I don't think they should necessarily, but I'm sure it'll be looked at. What do you think the Flames do at trade deadline if they look back at bringing back Giordano? Because it's not like the fucking oh, Kraken are. But what are you going to do with Gio? Yeah, it's the thing. And like, he was a if, liability if, if, to begin with. Well, he was starting to lose it. But, like, what do you... I get the sentimental value in bringing him back, but where does he fit in? Exactly. Like, Valimaki can't get in. Yeah. So are you going to fuck with, like, a great system and try to slot Geo in there? I wouldn't. Who are you going to take out? I wouldn't at all. I wouldn't look I, at that, I man. think the decor is probably the, the thing you need to least tinker with totally. at this point. Yeah, like, the back end's fine. Like, if trade deadline comes, 
maybe shore up that bottom six a little bit, maybe, you know, so we can stop playing guys like, uh, I mean, Dylan Dubé doesn't look very good, Tyler Pitlick, that kind of stuff. But the roles, like, uh, everyone fits their role, and everyone seems to be comfortable with it. I mean, Dubé's not putting up the points, but I don't know if he's expected to, you know? And Lewis, Pitlick, they, they fit their roles perfectly. You see it when you watch games. Like, there's no expectation for anyone to rise up any single game. Just do your job, and it will result in goals. And that's clearly been the case. I don't disagree. I'm just saying, if we're still in this position, the team's still in this position, when the time comes and they're looking to make an ad, that's the only thing to me that would really need upgrading. Hey guys, you should do us a solid and head on over to our social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and give a like. Give everything a like because our numbers are terrible and that would be a huge, huge Thursday night football, the New England Patriots put up a shutout victory over the Atlanta Falcons and uh, really solidified that their defense is the real deal. And uh, I think they're—I think you said they're seven-four now, so they're making a real push to be threats in the AFC at this point. I think across the NFL, everyone needs to take note right now. Uh, seven and four, like you said, that they're on a five-game heater, and uh, yeah, I mean, I said it to you before, and you're starting to see a little bit of it creep into the media, but people people forget what Tom Brady was in the early 2000s when he took over for Drew Bledsoe because of injury and, and what the Patriots were and how they won games. Like, the first Super Bowl they won over the super high-powered St. Louis Rams offense with Kurt Warner, Marshall, Marshall Falk, uh, and the like there. They are putting up record amounts of points every year. Won by a field goal, you know, 24-21. Uh, they missed the playoffs the very next year. So everything wasn't sugar cane or <laughs> candy canes and unicorns back then they missed the playoffs and they won two straight super bowls in the same fashion winning by in last second field goals defense was the key there tom brady evolved after that into a high-powered quarterback but mac jones is exactly what tom brady was back then a game controller doesn't turn the ball over depend on the run and have a good kicker like nick folk right now like it's it's not a crazy formula Patriots went out and paid a lot of money for a lot of good defenders. They gave up Stephon Gilmore for nothing, who was a great defender, once Defensive Player of the Year in 2019. That just shows you how much everybody else is worth. And I, the NFL needs to take note. I think they're one of the favorites right now. Now, I could be getting ahead of myself, but it looks like a team, especially in the AFC with everyone else struggling. Buffalo's not a juggernaut. KC's not. Baltimore's taken a step back. Clearly, they lose some stupid games. I just like their game, man, and Belichick is in it to win it. Like, well, I'm, you make a very good point with the. I mean, the the AFC being so unpredictable right now has really opened up the door for the Patriots. But the other thing is how eerily similar that this game plan looks to those early Patriots teams. I mean. Mac Jones wasn't obviously the most highest uh, touted quarterback coming out of that draft, but they were probably looking at him and seeing some of those similarities to young Tom Brady in the way that he plays the game. Yeah. You know? He doesn't turn the ball over. That's the beauty. I mean, he rarely gets more than just over 200 yards passing every week. Depend on the run. Damian Harris has established himself the last three years. A rookie named Ramondre Stevenson has really 
solidified himself as a, a dual threat. I mean, I don't think he's any less talented than Harris. He's had a sweet heater of a five-week stretch as well, established himself that way, and just defend the ball, you know? I mean, it, it's so crazy to think about because had you asked me a few years ago when Brady was still with the team, I would not have wanted to see the Patriots make another run. But at this point, like, there's so much intrigue there to see them do well and make another playoff run without Tom Brady, you know? I mean, Well, this is actually a, a steamrolling train to a New England Tampa Bay Super Bowl. It could be. It, it very could, could be. well be. It could be. And wow, man, what a story that would be. Wow. I mean, I certainly don't think it's going to be the Chiefs. Obviously, they've looked a little bit better in recent weeks. They dr- they're drawing the Cowboys on Sunday. I think they get spanked today, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think uh, Dallas, I mean, Dallas, they're, they're rounding in the form. They're a great team this year. Um, they've got everything going for them in terms of receivers. I think they just lost Amari Cooper for a He's on the COVID list yeah. right now. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. C.D. Lamb has established himself as a number one receiver. I fucking love C.D. Lamb. He's, He's so great. good. So good. He's the best slot receiver in the league. He does a lot after the catch. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott is back. And their defense, a lot of people don't give them enough credit. Trayvon Diggs leads the league by a country mile with eight interceptions in nine games, which is absurd. Yeah, I, I just don't think the KC Chiefs have remedied everything, although they could surprise us. I mean, they're capable, right? I just like Dallas in a bit of a romp today. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, let's talk about your Cardinals because they're drawing the Seahawks. Russell Wilson is back uh, officially. He looked terrible he looked last terrible, week. Terrible, like yeah. terrible. They got <laughs> shut out last week by the Green Bay Packers. Well, Seattle's on the downward trend, man. Like they're, I, they, I mean, they like. Are. They're three and six now. They're going to be in a transitional period here, especially if those rust rumors are true. You know, they're going to have to redo that entire fucking team. Although uh, I'll say this, like, it's a perfect matchup for the Seattle Seahawks if Kyler Murray doesn't play because, I mean, clearly the Cardinals got by with Colt McCoy a couple weeks ago against San Francisco, but they got stomped by Carolina last week. Uh, Cam Newton's return, two touchdowns for him. Uh, but I could see them sitting Kyler Murray another game because they have the bye week next week. So that'll be four straight weeks of rest. Uh, they'll come back, and they're still in a great playoff position because the LA Rams have lost two straight, which, which is crazy. crazy. Yeah, absolutely uh, and it's wild, right? And I saw a little meme: ten games into the season last year under Goff, they're seven and three. This year, they're seven and three as well. So <laughs> when when OBJ having his first game, like two catches. <laughs> oh, and it was clear they wanted to establish him as a threat because Matt Stafford threw an unbelievably bad interception deep downfield where he clearly wasn't even open yeah. and wasn't even close to the target because OBJ kind of gave up on the play, which I don't think is a great look. He does that all the time. Um, at least get yourself in a position where you can knock the ball down even if you can't catch it. He does give up and get frustrated way yeah. too easily. And that was like in the first quarter. Yeah. So after that, Matt Stafford really struggled. But two straight losses have the cards still in driving position at 8-2. and two. Game up on them. So I could see them sitting Kyler Murray again, and they might lose. You have to think uh, if you know OBJ doesn't catch on with the Rams with how good that team is, you'd have to think this is probably his last kick. Oh, God, no. He's too young for that. I mean, someone will throw a flyer. He's going to have to reserve himself to the fact that maybe he's only tops a number two receiver on a team, maybe even three, uh, depending on where he goes. I, I, I never thought the Rams were a good fit. 
I, I, even from the Rams' perspective, I don't think he was a good fit for them, and I don't think he was a good fit for OBJ. But here we are. They're going to have to work with it for the rest of the season. I think the Rams are still good enough. They're still good. But they're starting to look like last year where everyone got high on them and then they just kind of the last half of the season weren't very good. So the trend has already been set here that it looks a lot like last year. Uh, We've also got Panthers and the football team today, which is kind of an interesting matchup. Obviously, uh, Cam Newton came back, had a very successful return, um, and he was elated, you know, screaming, I'm back to the crowd. He looks like he's finally back home. Uh, And maybe Carolina's the only team he can fucking play for. I don't know. Probably. (laughs) At the end of the day, it was probably the only team that he was going to have a fit. Sam Darno is crap, and he's hurt, and it opened up a window for them. They're 5-5, and man. Uh, Aside from the division leaders in the NFC, I mean, the wild cards are wide open. Wide open. Everyone's under 500 except for a few teams. The Rams got the number one wild card. Then you've got 5-5 and teams in Carolina, and... I can't remember the other one, but there everyone like Minnesota's under 500, San Francisco's under 500, everyone in the NFC's under 500. So I mean these last wild card teams conceivably could be under 500 getting into the playoffs. Would, I would imagine this uh, Washington matchup be fairly low, low scoring game. Maybe, maybe. I mean Washington last week put up 29 against Tampa Bay. Um, the Carolina Panthers put up 34 against the Cardinals. Now they didn't have Kyler Murray, but that defense has been pretty decent, okay. Yeah. And they gave and they put up 34. So I'm not entirely sure about that. Yeah, I mean it's kind of interesting the way you look at it. I mean Carolina obviously not going to make any huge noise here, but like just to see what kind of moves they could make, just given this Darno situation and the fact that Newton, you know, looks like he could fit in there at least for a short term band aid stopgap kind of thing. I think Newton is solidified as their quarterback moving forward. I think they're going to ride with him, I, oh, see what they got. He's got a chip on his shoulder, man, and that you can't put a value on that. Even when Darno comes back, like if Newton's still playing well, do you put Sam Darno in? Like I, I don't, don't think you do. I don't, I don't even care if Cam Newton's playing marginal or mediocre. Sam Darno's a fucking dumpster fire, man. He is an He is not dumpster. good. <laughs> I, I still can't understand why they thought he was better than Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. Still, that's a that's a mystery to me. But I think they're going to ride with Cam Newton here regardless. Yeah. Because I think it's their best option, you know, barring injury. Uh, over on the injury front, the Chicago Bears just lost Khalil Mack to a season-ending foot surgery. And Chase Young... Also done for the year. I can't remember what hit, uh, his injury ACL was. ACL, done. which is unfortunate for him. Yeah, it's only his second year. He was a beast last year, continuing the momentum. He's one of the best defensive players in the league. Uh, hopefully, he comes back and is unaffected. Uh, the other notable injury was Aaron Jones with the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Now they're lucky that was only an MCL sprain, um, but that could be. They're saying one to two weeks. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's out a good month. The good news for the Packers is they've got a stud of a second-year running back in A.J. Dillon, who can be a workhorse. He scored two touchdowns after Aaron Jones left the game last week against uh, the Seahawks. And he's been known as just a bull rusher, but he did catch a 50-yard pass as well. He's not been known for his passing or his receiving chops, but I think he can fit in pretty well there. 
Now, if he gets hurt, the Green Bay Packers are fucked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, in, over the last few years, they've definitely leaned on the, the running game a lot more than they, they oh, generally have in the past. Have. Yeah, I mean, and to to their benefit. Like, it obviously made them a well-rounded, more better team. But Aaron Jones is such a driver of that offense uh, outside of Aaron Rodgers that I, regardless of how good the, the secondary options are, like, if they lose any of that, like, they're going to be a very precarious position. Yeah, but they're in the driver's seat. They're 8-2, and two, and the rest of the... Uh, NFC North there is garbage, so they've got a bit of a cushion there. To, they could probably lose a few games, but I, they're in good hands with AJ Dillon. Yeah, I'm just saying it's a thin line. If he gets hurt, what the hell they're gonna do? Yeah, it's funny that we just kind of glazed over uh, Mac and the Bears because they are just such an irrelevant team in like every every respect. But. Well, and they're not your old Chicago Bears defense like they have been the last three years and shutting teams down. They've been quite mediocre. They give up a lot of points, and the offense still can't score. That's why they're three and six. Yep. Uh, and to end off, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, their tight end Dallas Goddard, uh, just got himself a four-year extension, and I think it was fifty-two million, fifty-seven million. So they love their tight end over there. Obviously, they shipped out Ertz in favor of Dallas, um, and he'll be there for quite some time. He's one of their favorite targets over there in terms. Well, of he hasn't been that. He hasn't been that great the last few weeks. Um, certainly, he needs to get more involved. More involved. Well, but Devonta Smith is really... He's had a surge. Man. Yeah, he's yeah. had a surge. He's, he's seen a lot more targets than he did earlier in the season, which is nice. Um, but yeah, we've said it before, like... Philly's got a lot to look forward to. It's they probably, do. Yeah, I, I still like that team. Yeah, same here. I'd, obviously, this isn't their year by any stretch, but uh, I think they've got a, a good foundation between mm-hmm. the uh, the offensive parts that they have. Yeah, and I never thought Jalen Hurts was going to be an NFL-esque quarterback. He's proven me wrong. Mac Jones has proved me wrong. So my stigma of Alabama quarterbacks not making it uh, is kind of going by the wayside now. It's looking like the trend is maybe they are really good. Our boy Alex Singleton, after putting up like a bunch of good games, has completely is dropped hurt? off too. Like, I know he's been out there. It's just like he went from having like ten tackles a game, solo tackles, with another five assisted tackles, to having like one or two. Well, he dropped a zero last. Week. Yeah, dropped a zero. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. It was like yeah. he was awesome for a bit, and now he's just uh, he's done, man. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know what it is, but he's our ex-stamp darling, uh, who I think is still good in the NFL. I mean, maybe it's the fact. He's that good that the offenses have taken note and they're avoiding his side of the field. That could be it, too. Do you think you have any ideas that would help us continue the show? Uh, Is there any stuff that we don't talk about that you would like us to talk about? We would like your input. Send us an email at brenbrandsports at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. We're open to it. We got the Shohei Otani, by no surprise to anybody. Unanimous. Unanimous win for the AL MVP. Uh, Bryce Harper takes home the NL MVP for the second time. I think he did it once before. With and, the Nationals. Yeah. And uh, Robbie Ray for the Cy Young. I think you said the a- yeah. a- AL Cy Young. Yeah, I said yeah. Right. Okay. he's uh, our darling with the Toronto Blue Jays, and he was well-deserved. I There was other guys they said had a chance. I didn't think anyone had a chance. He led the AL in strikeouts, had a a sparkling ERA, and never got hurt all year, and he was consistent all year. He led the league, well, the AL, in most double-digit strikeout games by a long shot. Uh, so he deserved it. Now are we going to be able to re-sign him is another question. I hope so. 
you know, this might be a flash in the pan year too. You see that with Cy Young Award winners. Um, sometimes they have these crazy good years and they go back to being the mediocre pitcher they were before. So it's a bit of a gamble for the Toronto Blue Jays, especially because he's not super young. He, you know, he's right around that 30, cusp of 30. Um, I'm not sure if it's money well spent. I do like him, even if he's a number two, three, and he doesn't have a Cy Young caliber year. Um, but lots of free agents to, to look at if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan and management. But they did sign one of their late season acquisitions, Berrios, who was instrumental in their late surge in terms of the rotation there. So, yeah, I don't know. Marcus Simeon is still on the market. He's going to command big bucks, but still, it's looking up for the Jays. I, I know we, we only touch on MLB uh, fairly minimally in these last sections, but, like, did we ever mention Bryce Harper at all? Like, in he the last season He had a surge, here? man. Yeah. He really did. <laughs> and it, it, you, it's not the typical MVP-esque season. He didn't hit 100 RBIs. You know, he hit a, a, a number of home runs, but he's always an OPS guy. Massive slugging percentage, on-base percentage. Uh, hits for a decent average. I don't think he quite got to 300 this year. But if you just look at his body of work over the years, or over this year, I, I could see it was a close vote, though. I, I thought Fernando Tatis Jr. deserved it a bit more. I think the San Diego Padres meltdown at the end of the year contributed to him not actually making it. The Phillies made a late surge. They almost caught the Atlanta Braves, who ended up winning it. They're in the same division. Um, but Bryce Harper had managed to be on a pretty good team, had a pretty good season, and he's, he's just a really good all-around player. And obviously Shohei Otani, that's no surprise. I mean, everyone had that peg going into it. Uh, I think somebody of note just signed with the Angels, too. It, it escapes me. I, I feel like they just picked somebody up that we... We should touch on but anyway Shohei yeah obvious one there yeah uh Philadelphia 76ers a little bit of news on them they obviously I mean there's this whole Ben Simmons thing we've talked about numerous times so we won't get into it too much but now the rumor is that they're trying to zero in on James Harden from the Nets and they will try and use Ben Simmons to somehow pry Harden away which like on paper out loud any way you slice it just sounds like something absolutely ludicrous when you're trying to pitch it on a trade this, call this this is pure fake <laughs> I, I, the Philadelphia 76ers are going to be handcuffed with this guy even if they shell out a ton of draft picks to the to the Nets they're still a good team they're going to be bottom end first round picks for the foreseeable future uh, James Harden is a better point guard, especially since joining the Nets, than Ben Simmons, anyways. So I, what do you, I don't understand what kind of package would even come close to what the Nets are looking for, unless they're looking for a salary dump. Oh yeah. But they're taking on a huge salary with Ben Simmons. So every way you look at it, it doesn't make. It doesn't sense. make sense. Yeah, and like the Nets are in a position now to potentially make a run for the title. So like. Why would you ship out James Harden? He's obviously going to be a big part of that. <laughs> Although Steve Nash has been quite vocal that he doesn't think the Nets right now are even in the conversation for one of the top teams in the NBA. That, that's why he's a good choice for that coach, though. I, I do Call love, these guys out, man. Yeah, absolutely. I love me some Steve Nash, and I think he's a great fit for that he's team. He's an objective dude. Objective dude. And like I know the Nets haven't gotten there with the results to prove it yet, but I really do think... You know, given some time, Nash could be like a Steve Kerr going to have a really successful coaching career. He could. He yeah. could. He look. I think he looks good as a coach right now. 
Um, certainly Steve Kerr's in another level. <laughs> well, the funny thing is with Steve Kerr, and I've made the joke before, but like, how much coaching does Steve Kerr actually do with that team? I, I think it's quite a bit. Like, I, I, I know he's a very brilliant basketball mind. There's no question. But look at the talent he's had over the years. Yeah. What does he really have to say to those guys? Uh, it's it's easy for the casual viewer to say It, that. it is, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And it is a, a luxury to have a guy like Steph Curry. You know, the thing I didn't realize, and we made this mistake... Clay Thompson hasn't come he back hasn't yet, come back yet yeah. and they're still the top team in the NBA right now. Yeah. So that just speaks to the level Steph is playing at right now. He just got got into his first uh, practices not too long yeah. ago, so he's on the verge. He's, on, he's the on the verge. Yeah, they're being very cautious, which is wise. He's been out for two straight years. You don't want him to get hurt again in the first couple of games. But clearly, if he comes back, I mean, the Warriors might be back on par for what they were looking like from 2015 to quite frankly, 2019 when they lost to the Raptors in the NBA Finals. Uh, you had yourself a, a day watching NCAA football yesterday. I did, you yeah. Know? You know, I flipped around and, you know, we're getting to the the point in the season right now where every week they put out the, the playoff picture. You know, there's four teams that always make it. But uh, three of the top ten lost yesterday in convincing fashion. That's an understatement, to tell you the truth. Number three, Oregon, got stomped by number 23, Utah. Uh, Michigan State had gotten themselves into the seventh spot. They got crushed by number four, Ohio State. And uh, Wake Forest lost to Clemson, who is not ranked this year. It's a bit of an anomaly over the last five, six years where they've been one of the top four teams consistently. Uh, But Wake Forest got stomped. Now, all the home teams won there, but there's going to be a huge chaotic shift in what this four-team playoff looks like in terms of a projection come Monday. I think Cincinnati's finally going to get some respect. They're still undefeated. Their name's coming up a lot. But they're they're outside the window, and that's because they play in what's perceived to be a weak conference, which is bullshit. That's why these rankings are so subjective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Oregon was number three. They're going to be out for sure. I mean, Oklahoma lost for the first time last week. They've fallen all the way to number nine, I believe. Or actually outside the top 10. I think they're 13th. But they only have one loss. If they continue down that road, the Big 12 always gets the benefit of the doubt. A one-loss team, there's going to be lots of one-loss teams that get into the playoffs this year. Um, was that the first time you've actually sat down and, and did some serious NCAA watching? Yeah, and I mean, I never gave any game, like, a long stretch. I was flipping back, back and forth. forth. That's the way you got to do it. Yeah, now. there's it's just so many well. games on at any given time, except for there's always the primetime Saturday night game. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's getting to that time where it, it's worth watching. Yeah. You know, Georgia looks like they're running away. They're number one. Alabama has that one loss against Texas A&M, but they're still perceived to be the number two team, even with one loss. And, uh, like I said, I think Cincinnati's going to creep their way in there right now, at least for the time being. And we'll see if they get through undefeated. If they do, they will make the 14 playoff. And to end off, let's do a significant soccer section, which we never do. Uh, Canada moved up to the 40th rank in the FIFA, FIFA rankings, and that ties its previous best. And you went and checked out Canada-Costa Rica. So how are we going to lead this off? Yeah, no, I did go to the game in Edmonton last Friday, November 12th. Uh, it was a beautiful evening. You know, Conversely, the game against Mexico last Tuesday was a bit of an ice fest. I would, did not envy people that went to that game. But Canada came out victorious in both games. Uh, one nothing. Bit of a struggle for both teams against Costa Rica. But Canada scored a greasy one. There was one play with a bicycle kick off the crossbar. 
that would have been a spectacular goal would have been all over TV. Uh, but just under 60,000 people attended that game against Costa Rica and the crowd was just elated and I, I was fired say, up yeah. and cheering for every positive play. Canada had about 70% possession in that game. Uh, and Mexico, it seemed like they they handled most of it aside from the last five five to seven minutes which, when it was a bit you know crazy. Mexico scored a goal, but they came they held on for a two one victory. Mexico lost both their games over the weekend. They lost to the U.S. two nothing on the Friday, and then lost to Canada on Tuesday. So they got some work to do. They've dominated Concacaf for a lot of years. I was, uh, I, I mean, you kind of touched on the crowd thing already because that's what I was most curious about. Like, but like, was just a huge pop every time Davies got near the ball, or what? You know what, Davies, quite frankly, had a pretty poor game. Really, against Costa Rica, yeah. he really tried to do too much, too much as a one-man band. Well, I mean, and to be expected, hometown crowd, like it's almost not surprising in a way. Yeah, but you got to understand that you're going to see a lot of double teams. You're going to see yourself focused on. That's when you have to look for your teammates. Now he's too young to give him too much shit. Like. He's learning. They still won the game. But that game particularly, he looked a little selfish and uh, played himself into some really precarious situations where he could have looked elsewhere and developed the play other ways. But uh, he's still one of the best players. He's going to make these mistakes. He learned from it. You know, Canada's going to have to, you know, look at this as a positive, but they're still not there yet. You know, the qualifying games resume in January. Uh, their next game is against Honduras, I believe. So they got to just keep it going. Look at these games. A significant amount of time is going to go by from these Edmonton games, but they still got they still got work to do. How was uh, Commonwealth? I, it's often said in the CFL that that stadium is kind of their flagship operations there. You know what? It's a nice stadium. Yeah. I actually I hadn't been there in about twelve years, and I've forgotten what it's like. But it's older, but it's it's huge. Like it's way bigger than than uh, McMahon, especially the concourses. So I understand, even though it's colder up in Edmonton, why they're focused on for these types of games. Last time I was there was when David Beckham just joined the LA Galaxy. They played the Whitecaps up oh, there. Oh, no shit. Um, I've never been for an actual American-style or Canadian-style football game, but two soccer games. But it's the perfect venue, you know, weather permitting, of course. I, I, you know, I know it's it's easy for us to rag on Edmonton at points, but uh, it, there is something to be said for what they're doing as a sports city these days. Like, they're just getting so much. And they're, I mean, credit to the city of Edmonton for putting in the effort to make it that way because they're becoming a prime destination for big events. Well, the, people that aren't in the know, um, the World Cup of Soccer, is the FIFA World Cup of Soccer is actually going to occur in North America uh, in 2000, 2026, it's going to be Canada, U.S., and Mexico are going to host games. Edmonton's going to get some of those games. So is Vancouver, Montreal. Oh, cool. So this is the this is the biggest stage of soccer, and they're going to get games. So, I mean, the finals and everything are likely to be in the U.S., but Canada is going to get a look here. Uh, with any hope, we can see a little bit more action like that in Calgary, but there's a lot of work to do in terms of making it We don't have a, the facilities. We, we just don't. We just uh, don't there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but it, and like, but it needs to be done, man. We get glazed over so much for in terms of bigger events, not only just sports, but when you look at concerts and stuff Music like that. Yeah, well. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate, but uh, Edmonton's kicking our asses that way. Mm-hmm.
either way, man, kudos to Canada. It was great entertainment. Worth the visit. Super cheap, $265. But either way, um, massive experience. Tune into the NFL. We'll be back at you next week to do a little bit of a review. Get into the NCAA football. It is getting down to the wire. I'm Brand. He's Brand. My name is not going to get different. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Brennan Brand Sports Podcast. Remember to like, listen, and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio.